Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I'm super excited to welcome TJ Newman, a former bookseller and flight attendant whose first novel, Falling, became a publishing sensation and debuted at number two on the New York Times bestselling list. The book was named a Best Book of the Year by USA Today, Esquire and Amazon, among many others, and has been published in more than 30 countries. The book will soon be a major motion picture from University. Studios, which is super exciting. Drowning is her second novel and the novel we're talking about today. Welcome TJ Newman all the way from the States. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I love that we've, you know, done this coordination. I believe it's about 5pm where you are, 10am where I am and we managed to nail it. So it seems like a good time for both of us. We did. And I think it's winter over there. And I live in Arizona, which uh, if you know anything about Arizona, it is hot and we're in the middle of the summer and it's like 115 Fahrenheit today. Um, I don't even know what that translates to. So I know you're very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, likewise, we'll just do the grass is greener on both sides here. I'm suffering a flu and I can see the wind outside and I've had the heater on and I'm about to go back to bed. So I'm very jealous. And I have been to Arizona and I've got to say it was one of my most favorite holidays in my life. It was just a really interesting place that I didn't expect. So loved it oh i love to hear that i'm a proud arizona native but i can only guess that you did not come this time of year because that would probably <laughs> not have been your assessment if you'd have been in july i think it was one of those shoulder periods so it was probably march or something where it was just it was magic that's the sweet spot that's that's why we live here <laughs> fantastic now back to the book drowning um you know you've achieved some phenomenal success which i love particularly because you started as a bookseller which i love and we'll talk about but um give me an elevator pitch uh, for drowning sure drowning tells the story of the rescue of flight 1421 a flight from honolulu to san francisco that crashes into the ocean six minutes after takeoff The passengers immediately evacuate until an explosion forces those who didn't get out in time to close the doors. When it's too late, the plane floods and sinks with 12 people trapped inside, including a father and his 11-year-old daughter. So now, their only hope at survival lies with an elite rescue team on the surface led by her mother and his soon-to-be ex-wife very dramatic and the first thing i want to ask because i am on a plane quite a bit is when you were a flight attendant were these the thoughts that were going through your head (laughs) absolutely which i know (laughs) i know that sounds bad that sounds really bad but truly that's exactly how you want your pilots and flight attendants thinking that's how we're trained to think we are constantly thinking about 
what can go wrong? Mm -hmm. What is the worst case scenario? And and if in the unlikely event that that happens, what am I going to do about it? So we're constantly running that dress rehearsal and we're constantly, you know, looking at prior accidents and incidents that have happened and analyzing them to see what the crew did, what they did right, what they did wrong, and what you would do in the same situation. So that if, again, in the unlikely event that it happens, you're ready, you've already run a dress rehearsal, you know the protocol, you know what's what's supposed to happen. So Yeah, it's a little unnerving when I tell people that like, yeah, I was absolutely thinking about this and so many other terrible scenarios the whole time I was working. But, you know, it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm sort of comforted by this. (laughs) But um, I whenever there's turbulence, I'm not a big fan of turbulence. I'm not sure who is. I always look at the flight attendant and I look at their face. And if they're calm, I'm like, okay, I should be calm too. But is that just a facade? Are you just pretending to be calm? It's both. We are well aware of the fact that when there is a crisis, we are the first place that people look to. So Mm. therefore to not, you know, make the crisis worse. We are very aware of that. And we always put on a calm face. Most of the time though, it is absolutely the truth. If it's not, I think you're going to be able to piece together pretty quickly that there's more (laughs) happening than than you think (laughs) now I love the fact that you were a bookseller as well because I think you know just that's you know on the ground of the industry and so I want to know obviously you've had some phenomenal success but what did you learn about writing from bookselling oh gosh um god that's a great question um It's a fascinating aspect of the business, right? People think that the dream is to get your book published, right? Which it is. As an author, that's your dream is to get your book published. But there's a sort of a final leg in the journey that people don't really understand a lot of the time. And that's, you can write a book, you can get it published, but if it's not making it into readers' hands, then what's the difference between that and just writing it for yourself and and reading it on your own computer and leaving it at that? And that crucial sort of bridge between those two worlds is the bookseller. They're the person who knows, what do you need? What do you want? What are you looking for? Ah, I've got the perfect book for you for that moment. And so my time as a reader kind of, or as a bookseller really helped me understand that, that, that transition between the two, that, that connection of knowing, you know, what do people want to read? What are they looking for? What do they want? And if you can find a way to make the stories that you personally want to tell and have to tell, if you can match that with the right audience and the bookseller is the person who figures out how to do that, it just, it, it, it tells you everything. I love that. I love all of that because I love the idea of hand selling too. You know, when someone says, what do you need? what are you looking for? What did you love before? And, you know, you're actually picking up a book. And I love that when I've been in bookshops before and they have, they found you the perfect book. So I love all of that. And it doesn't, it didn't stop by the way, as, as I became a flight attendant, my hand selling, oh, it continued. I just, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'd be on the cart doing service and somebody would be reading a book and I'd say, you know, Hey, what are you reading? And then we'd get in a conversation about books and, you know, 
10 minutes later, the cart is long gone. You know, my coworkers annoyed at me because I'm not helping and I'm just talking books and, and hand selling stuff that I've read. <laughs> I love that because, yeah, I'm always taking a sneak look at people, what they're reading on the plane. So I've got that bad habit as well. <laughs> now, in this book, Drowning, you've combined, combined this epic tragedy um, with a story of a family, you know, and a family in a bit of crisis as well. As you mentioned, you've got the father, Will, and his daughter, Shannon, they're trapped and you know, they're being led by a team, which is the mother, which I love, ex-wife or about to be ex-wife. And you've got this added complexity. So how does adding the element of this com complex family situation add to the story of this, you know, epic drama? I realized very early on that um, the spectacle of it, right? This, this plane that crashes and there's fire and explosions and then it sinks and there's water and it's coming in it's a race against time the spectacle of it would not sustain any reader for 300 pages i knew instantly that there was going to have to be another layer to this though that was more important than that and i decided to center it on um, sort of a, a mirrored rescue, right? Because it's a rescue mission for these 12 people. It's a rescue mission of, can we get them out in time? It's also a rescue of this family. Can we bring them back together? Can this be the thing that heals this fractured family? Um, not to give away spoilers, but they they had already experienced a pretty traumatic um uh, crisis in their family. And that's ultimately what drove them apart. So can this traumatic crisis be the thing that brings them back together? And I, I loved those parallel levels of, um, of rescue there. I thought they worked well together. Mm, and it is interesting, the impact of trauma. And like I said, no spoiler alerts as well, but you know, the trauma they've already experienced brought them, you know, had a different impact and then now the trauma has a different impact. So what I'm really interested in is the personal experience and how, you know, people can go through similar traumas and have really different experiences and outcomes. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's the other thing too, is right. It's a big spectacle book. It's a massive, huge, extreme situation that, you know, the chances of happening are unlikely, but they're not zero and they're happening to people like you and me. They're happening to ordinary people. And so as a reader, it's easier to put yourself there because, you know, well, I do travel on planes all the time. So what would I do if this happened to me? And that sort of universal feeling of what would I do, it plays out also in the levels of trauma that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, while... The loss, you know, maybe in a spectacular plane crash into the ocean thing, but we've all experienced loss. We've all experienced that. So it's it's a different, it's another way to just relate to the characters in a far more intimate way and to realize that, you know, the stakes of the the little, the I don't want to say little, but the traumas and crises that we face on on an everyday basis they're just as big as, as the big crises too, because it's all loss and grief and struggle and pain. Mm, absolutely. Now there's a lot of tension throughout this book. Like I said, it's a race against time. And then there are passages in the book where it says, you know, there's this much oxygen left for this many hours for this many people. So, you know, the tension's always building up and you're kind of racing through the book because you think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? We've got an hour left, come on, you know, and, and you look so far away from, you know, being able to be rescued kind of reminded me of you know jack bauer's 24 you know that countdown which you know i just adored 
So what's your writing process in terms of keeping the tension, but you also have, a, have to have a break from that tension as well, because otherwise it's too much for the reader. So how do you balance that within your writing process? That's exactly right. It's it's finding that balance and finding that cadence. And, you know, something that really helps for me is um, music, um, not listening. Well, yes, listening to music, I guess, as I write sometimes, but I mean more the the looking at song structure. A song doesn't have just like, you know, one level and it's just boom, 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 unless you're listening to me, I don't know, maybe heavy metal or something, you know, it it ebbs and it flows and, and it repeats in places and then it crescendos and decrescendos. And so I try to think of the story as a song and think, you know, when does the reader need a break? You know, when when have I pushed them kind of to to the limit of what they can take of tension? Because when you're almost there to the breaking point, that's when you that's when you let the reins out a little bit, right? It's it's just about that tension and trying to understand in a story as you read it, like where does the tension need to be increased and where does it need to be decreased? And I sort of use a a a good piece of music as sort of the guide of that. Because you can feel it. Really, you can. You can feel it when a song or a book needs more or needs less. And as you're, I don't want to get like, you know, esoteric about it, but it's just like, it, it really is to a certain extent, something that you can just feel. And I often use a barometer of that as, you know, when I'm reading it, am I paying attention or am I not? And if I find myself sort of going elsewhere, going something, it's like, Ooh, I lost it. I lost myself. So I need to, something needs to happen here to, to bring that tension back in and catch their attention. So mm. that's a good litmus test. And the model is sort of, you know, just figure out the natural ebb and flow that, that it needs. Mm, I love the way you've likened it to a song, you know, and I'm thinking of songs in my head as you're talking and thinking that's exactly right. You know, you have your verses and your repeated choruses, and then you have that, you know, crescendo of the bridge and, then you give them a break and it's exactly like that. So I love looking at a novel in that way. I don't think I've ever looked at it in that specific way before. You can even look at like the instruments or the different, you know, the bass line and the treble and all these things. Those are the characters. Mm. So when do you add characters in? When do you take them away? When is it, you know, is a monologue an acoustic moment? You know, is it like full orchestral thing? You know, it's like, it's also sort of mirrored in the characters that are in play and each, you know, each, each, instrument brings a different you know the sound quality of the flute is very different to the sound quality of the tuba so when do you need a flute and when do you need a tuba and the character that would be associated with a flute oh that's a person i i know who a flute is you know and i know who a tuba is so what are those tones and and how do they all play together to make something that sounds really good or sounds terrible because there's dis discordant moments too and you need that as well I love that. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to read a book again without thinking of tubers and flutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a really good character study too. It is. Like, you know, what, what musical instrument would this character be? That's because right. it's like, if I say, oh, the guy's a tuba, you know, you know what I mean. Like there's, yes. a, you know what I mean. But if the guy's a bassoon, that's a totally, totally different yeah. type of. Type of I love that so much. If it's a saxophone, it's probably a bit sexy, right? 
<laughs> a little bit. It's got the curves, exactly. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to be doing a lot of thinking about this today, so thank you. Um, you have gotten some serious praise for this book for from some amazing people. I mean, Dervla McTiernan says it's a remarkable novel with extraordinary writing. James Patterson, I love this. It has at least a dozen legit cliffhangers and a dozen huggable characters you can't stop rooting for. That's my favourite, I think. And Don Wilson says, stunning, emotional, unforgettable. How does this feel, these incredible people giving this incredible praise for this book? It's never not crazy to me, to be perfectly honest with you. Like these are these are writers that I've read my whole life and looked up to and have really done incredible things in their own careers and have sustained it as well. Um uh, which is very hard, you know, it's going, it's like falling was my debut and drowning was my second and I'm working on my third. And there's a big difference between doing it once and making a career out of it. And I, and I, I don't think I fully, fully appreciated that until I was in it. And so now looking at so many of these authors who, who aren't just great writers, but that have careers and have proven over and over and over that they can knock it out of the ballpark to have them say, yeah, this is good is it humbles me, humbles me greatly and makes me motivated to keep um, putting out (laughs) good work like they do. I love that. Now I have just got in my hands and I'll put this on social media because this is obviously an audio medium, but I have, I get sent a lot of material, you know, promo material, but this has got to be the most unique. I'm holding a boarding pass in my hand and it has Shannon Kent, a character from the novel on it. And on the back, it has all the praise for drowning and it's, you know, an economy ticket, Honolulu to San Francisco, seat 8A economy. It's just, it's seriously the best thing ever. I love it. Oh, that's so good. I hadn't realized that it was personalized to one of the characters because I'd seen those, but I hadn't seen it. And oh, knowing that it's Shannon, I'm all, I'm almost getting emotional seeing that that's Shannon's it's boarding pass. Gorgeous. I love it so much. So I I'm going to- love that. Look, promo material, I usually, you know, keep it while I need it. Then, you know, it goes in the recycle bin. But this, this is something I'm going to keep. So genius marketing plan. Love it. <laughs> it's great and it's also a good uh bookmark you know it's it like all my books are full of I used my books as kind of like scrapbooks and it, I fill them with you know like a to-do list or a receipt or a ticket stub or something like that and most of them are full of uh, uh plain uh you know ticket stubs yeah I never use a bookmark for a bookmark I've got the worst habit of that it's it is kind of those shopping lists or I've actually used a five dollar note before because I went to buy a bookmark and it was more expensive and I went I may as well just use my five dollar note <laughs> it works it works and I love them because they come little they become little time capsules like I can pick up a book and depending on what's in it I'm like oh yeah I was living there and I was doing that and oh I gosh that. I remember when I took that trip it's it becomes a little like I love journal, that. Time capsule. there's I, that I love recipe it. there's that recipe that I wanted to cook <laughs> Exactly. There's that $5, you know, that I need. (laughs) And how good is it when you find $5 in a random place? It's the best day ever. It's a coffee. It's a free coffee. (laughs) The best ever, even though it's really just you giving your future self some money. It's like, hey, it's It's true. true. (laughs) Great. great. Love it. Now, why do you think this type of genre, you know, the thriller, why do you think this genre resonates with readers so much? Because most of us, for the most part, don't live lives that are like that. And that's fine and we are fine with it but it's fun to go into that world a little bit right it's fun to live these 
big, epic, scary, you know, dangerous, thrilling things that that scare us and and you know put our lives in in perilous you know danger, but we don't actually have to do it. So it's like you get you get the benefit of living multiple lives at once without any of the downside of the risk of actually putting yourself in these terrifying uh, scenarios. I think that's why we gravitate towards all of that, because we like to feel big, big things. You know, I was just looking at something that was talking about this, you know, this new horror movie that came out and how successful it was and how big it was. And I'm just, and I asked the same question of myself earlier today. I was like, God, why do we love going to movies like that? Where it's like, well, I just ruined my sleep for the rest of the week and (laughs) I'm terrified. And now there's this, it's like, why do we like that? It's like, those big exclamation point feelings are are fun to feel. We just don't want to live in them forever. And mm-hmm. so reading books like this and watching movies like this, they let us have that, that escape without any of the real risk. If it's too much, you press pause. You, mm-hmm. you put the, you know, your bookmark in and you, or whatever you're using for a bookmark in and you put the book down. And, and so it lets us have that adventure without any of the risk. There's no mm-hmm. downside. It's like the roller coaster or the bungee jump. Exactly. It's 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 a that's actually a really good uh you know comparison that I've never thought of. That's really good. Yeah. Ro- yeah. Yeah. That's exactly exactly right. Because there's minimal risk. You know, I went bungee jumping, and I, you know, being an overthinker, I I did some bit of study on you know the the rope that they use and how many times they use it and how many accidents they have. And so I, I sort of weighed up this risk probably more than most people. And I thought, okay, I can sort of, you know, feel that I'm taking this risk, but really it's pretty safe. But it's not zero. It's not zero. And it's terrifying, by the way. <laughs> and it's terrifying. Exactly. So like, it's like, if you're going in baby steps, it's like, read the thriller book. And then the next step is, you know, go bungee jumping. And then the next step is like actually become an international spy. So it's like baby steps to get <laughs> there. Right. You know? So we're nearly there, nearly an international yeah. spy. By the end of the day, you can be an international spy in the literary world. It takes a little bit more to get there in real life. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> now, going back to Falling, your first novel, it's about to become a major motion picture. I mean, that's incredible. Tell us about the process of, um, you know, getting a book to screen. It's a, um, I, 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 it is a huge process with a million little decisions uh, that have to be made between now and then. And the vast majority of which are the vast, vast, vast majority of which are entirely out of your control. Um, and you know, it's, it's been a fascinating process to, um, to see that take shape from it being starting as like this crazy bidding war for who would get the rights to, to, uh, make the movie, um, and then, you know, I'm writing the script, I'm adapting the book. So working on that has been a massive education and such a joy, um, to work on. And I've loved that process. Um, it's, it's been incredible. You know, I dreamed big with this, but it's that's some pretty big dreaming beyond that. I really just can't believe that both of my books actually have movie deals attached to them. And so that's just, it's, it's surreal. As a reader though, you know, reading your books and how epic they are, you can, you can visualize it so easily. And so I think, you know, it doesn't surprise me as a reader to go, yeah, of course this can be a great film, you know, because it's so action packed. And I'm, I'm 
visualizing that as I'm watching Drowning and what I love as I'm reading Drowning and what I love is then when you go and watch the film and then see how close it was to imagination. Exactly. You know, and it's like I these movies, the 90s thrillers, the 90s action thrillers are my bread and butter. Same with the books growing up, but the movies too is just I cannot get enough of those massive, big blockbuster stories. I absolutely love them and I watch them over and over and over again. They're my favorite movies. And so when I write, like these are naturally the stories I gravitate towards and naturally the stories that I have to tell, but they play out in my mind exactly like the movie would look like I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I, I always feel like, and I don't know what, what other writers, you know, what their process is like, I I'd love to get in their brains, but for me, the way my brain works is I feel like I'm watching a movie and all I'm doing with the writing is, is translating what I'm watching. Like the movie's already done. The movie already exists in my mind. And I'm just translating what I'm watching into, into description on the page. I actually sometimes try to trick myself into that. And, and I pretend like you're just a person telling a story, like think of like sitting around with a bunch of your friends and they're like, you want to hear this crazy story about this plane that crashed into the ocean. Okay. Here's what happened. And then I basically just try (laughs) to like tell that story as best, as best I can from what I'm scene play out in my mind Mm, I love all of that now the last question that I ask all the guests who come on the podcast is why do you write Uh, (laughs) how could I not I mean I I'm I am a storyteller I've always been this way my whole life I'm a voracious reader I'm a voracious writer and I just love stories my first you know adventure my first uh, attempt I should say well it was an adventure too into doing a creative life was to go into theater I got a degree in musical theater and then I moved to New York to try to be a stage actor and uh since we're not talking about what my next show is you can guess how well that went um But it's like in one form or another. And when when that didn't work out, when I moved back home to Arizona after that, after failing at that and got the job at the bookstore, it was like, okay, this is where we can, we're getting back to my roots, back to who I was when I did that, because this is who I am in one form or another. I will be engaging with stories. If it's selling books and dealing with readers who love stories, then it's that. If it's writing books, then it's that. If it, I, I don't know another way. I, I don't know another way. Mm-hmm. And even even when I was a flight attendant, I thought that that was the most. Um, <laughs> I used to tell people all the time. I'm like, it's a play. Every single flight is a play. It has a beginning, <laughs> middle, and an end. There are different roles that everybody fills we're literally in costumes to an extent there are lines that we say there is inevitably going to be some sort of um inciting incident that most of the time is just like you know someone reclining their seat too much or a baby crying but there will be conflict and then it will be resolved by the end of the flight it is a play every single time that a flight takes off and that's just that's just how i see the world i see the world and in terms of story. And so 
I don't know why I write is because I just, I don't, I don't know how not to, I don't know how not to see the world the way that I see it. I'm also going to now see uh, traveling on a plane differently. I'm going to see it as a play and the, you know, the person who's talking too loud is the antagonist and there's <laughs> exactly. always that, but always that person. Exactly. Exactly. It's, there's <laughs> always something. You just hope that it's like a lowbrow something, a, a fun little something to solve, but there's always something. It blew my mind in the States when I was traveling domestic that you can just take your dog with you anywhere you like. And in Australia, you can't do that unless it's a therapy dog or you have to put the dog, you know, where the cases go or wherever they go in the plane. But in America, you just pick up your dog and that causes conflict. Not everyone loves a dog on the airline people are allergic to dogs and everyone loves a dog sometimes the dog is not the most well behaved yes it's <laughs> even even the most wonderful of creatures on the planet the dog can still be the source of all the conflict you know in the world on a plane so yeah exactly there's there's always something <laughs> going back just lastly i just wanted to touch on you know your theater career and you know you said you failed but i often think these experiences help us lead to different experiences and i think you know i know a lot of writers who were actors or songwriters or singers or musical or they do something creative so do you see the creative process as continually just overlapping because it's about the creativity and it's about as you mentioned the storytelling 100 percent. i mean over the course of this conversation alone i've brought in music like you know i was in choirs my whole life growing up i studied musical theater and so it's like music is a huge massive influence on my life i did, i talked about movies that has been a huge influence on my life i talked about books i mean they all play part and parcel into one another and i think that the more well-rounded you are in your um experience as a human you know i'm i'm a massive sports fan a massive sports fan and and my love of sports plays into my writing and the way that i craft stories every single day and every single story um you want to talk about like man versus man or man versus self just turn on any sporting event ever and you've got more drama right there in those mm. two storytelling you know arenas than you can think of i think it's really important as a as an artist to expose yourself to as many different um avenues of experiencing the human condition and how it's interpreted in, interpreted as as you can and that includes reading across genres and experiencing all different types of film and going to the opera going to the concerts going to all that and this is a really long-winded way to um get up really high on a soapbox and say like <laughs> yeah I think it's all really important and it all plays in there but it it does it really yeah. does no I think so too absolutely and I've trained my nine and ten year old to love the theater so now I've got theater goers for life so that was a goal for me um <laughs> Well done, mom, <laughs> mom of the year. You're done. You raised them right. That's right. That's all. That was my one goal in life. It's achieved. So <laughs> That's it. another generation will continue loving the theater and we're, set. we're fine. Work we're is fine. done here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I love where this conversation has taken us and I, I do love talking about all the creativity and everything that's influenced you know, your writing and the phenomenal success that you've achieved. I love seeing writers as particularly when they've started as booksellers becoming these incredible successes because we love our booksellers and we can't do without them. So I love now you speaking from all these different perspectives and there's so much to look forward to. Another book I'm assuming, films coming out and I can't wait. So thank you so much for the time. 
Thank you so much. This was this was really a fun conversation. And now I think you should go back to bed and drink some fluids and stay hydrated and feel better. I think that's a great idea. You enjoy the sun and the heat in Arizona. <laughs> and by that, the inside and the air conditioning. So yes, I will. Fair enough. <laughs>